You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Well, according to the CDC, currently... Four out of every five Americans are prescribed antibiotics each year for illness, which is an 85% increase from 1997. On top of that, according to a recent article I read in the New York Times, a.k.a. fake news, (laughs) Americans currently consume 99% of the world's hydrocodone and 80% of the world's oxycodone, which means... From antibiotics to pain medication, we clearly are a suffering society that is looking for relief. A society where we are all far too aware of the pain of living in a fallen world where things are not as God intended for them to be. When we look in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see that when God created the world at the end of creation, he says, behold, it is very good. When God created the world, it was beautiful and it was rhythmic and everything was as it should be. But in Genesis chapter 3, man decided that we actually should try to live life apart from God. And whenever we did this, sin entered into the picture. And with sin came death and disease and dysfunction and all kinds of decay. And fortunately, as you know, the good news of Christianity, what makes Christianity different than any other religion in the world, is rather than God saying, okay, now you have to work your way to me, God says, I'm going to work my way to you. Rather than you having to clean up the mess, I'm going to clean up the mess. And so he promises in Genesis 3 that he would send someone who would bring healing, who would bring restoration to his creation. And in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 5, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before this promised Messiah would come, would say the following, He said, surely he, talking about Jesus Christ, has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And listen to this next phrase. And by his wounds, we are, what's the word? Healed. That was good feedback. Thank you guys very much for that. The reality is, despite what you have been told, God is actually no happier with the brokenness of this world than you are. And because God cares about the whole person, when he came on his rescue mission in the form of Jesus Christ, he came not only for the purpose of healing our souls, but he also came to heal our bodies. This is why whenever you read in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will discover that 38.5%, of the Gospels are stories about Jesus seeking to eliminate suffering through physical healing. And what I want you to see today is that as crazy and maybe even unbelievable as it may seem, um, as pastors, we truly believe that that the work that Jesus began to do in the Gospels through his Spirit-empowered life is the same healing work that he wants to continue to do today through his Spirit-empowered church. Through ordinary people like you and me who are committed as disciples to reorienting our lives around three goals, which is goal number one, to be with Jesus. Goal number two is to become like Jesus. And then goal number three is actually to do the things that Jesus did for the good of this city and ultimately for the glory of of his name. Does that make sense? 
And so this is what we're going to see in Acts chapter 3. And so I want to invite you to look with me, starting in verse 1, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. We read the following. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those who are entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. I just want to stop right there for just a moment. I want to make sure we're on the same page. Peter and John, right, they're about to go into the temple. I mean, they're just doing what a good Jew is supposed to do, right? They're going to the temple to pray. And then what happens, right? As they're about to walk into the temple, they come across this man who it says in verse 2 is lame from birth. So this is a man who literally has never stood on his own two feet. A man, if you think about this, that while growing up would have watched the other kids play. Would have watched the other kids jump and run, knowing that he never would have an opportunity to actually play alongside them. And so this is a man we know um, in this society, most likely he never got married. He never had kids. And because he is living in an agrarian society where the main way to make money was through physical labor, this is a man who not only was well acquainted with pain, but also with poverty. This is why in verse 2 it says that people were carrying him every single day to the place right outside the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for money. Now, just to get an image of where this man was, I think I have a little diagram of the temple. It's hard to read, but I can build on the screen for you. What I want you to see is where the beautiful gate is located. Okay, what you see is in the temple, you have there, it says the very top, the holy place, right? This is the place where it's believed that God's presence would dwell. And outside there, you can even see is where the priest's courtyard was. This is where sacrifices would be made. And then if you move out from that, you have what you see, the women's courtyard. So apparently the women couldn't go quite as far as the men. So women, aren't you glad we've at least progressed a little bit as a society when it comes to how we treat women? And so, and then outside of the women's courtyard, you can see is the Gentile courtyard. And that is where the beautiful gate is. And what I want you to understand is according to the Levitical law, this man, this crippled man, could go no further than that outside gate. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 18, it says, No man who has any defect may come near, no man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, or who has a crippled foot or hand. So literally the lame man, I mean, this is as far as he can go according to the law. And I want you to just think about for just one moment what this must have done for this man mentally and emotionally. I was thinking back uh, whenever I was in fifth grade, I tried out for the basketball team and I didn't make it. Uh, surprise, surprise, right, to some of you. And so, um, but I actually thought that I was better than half the kids on the team, but still didn't make it. I just honestly was like, man, did the, did the coach not see me? Did he just overlook me? Did he actually put the wrong name on there? And, and what happened is because I got cut from the basketball team, all of the people that I hung out with that made the team, guess what? They all hung out together. They all traveled together. They spent the night at each other's houses. They all sat at the same lunch table, but I was on the outside. I wasn't able to, to, to hang out with him, to be with him. And I remember in that year, my fifth grade and sixth grade year specifically, it was such a year of hurt and loneliness and pain. And as I thought about that, I thought, man, that pales in comparison to what this man must have experienced. I mean, literally, this man's identity in the scripture is the lame beggar. Like, that's what he's known as. And so just imagine the shame and the loneliness and the sorrow and the emotional pain this man must have experienced, especially 
in a culture like this where being crippled meant that you must have been cursed by God. So this man is a social and moral outcast. And as he sits here all alone in all of his need, look what happens next. It says that Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And they said, look at us. So maybe you've been overlooked, but you're not being overlooked right now. Like we, we see you. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, silver and gold, right? I do not have. But what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what happens next is so courageous. Peter actually touches the man. He reaches out for him. And this man actually reaches out for Peter. And isn't that interesting? I don't know why he did this. I mean, this guy has never walked. In this moment, he believes that I'm about to walk. And so he reaches out. And I just want to stop right here and say this. For some of you, you have been struggling with the same issues over and over because you're not reaching out. You refuse to be needy. You refuse to be weak. You refuse to say, I need help. This man, in a great act of faith, whenever Peter reached out for him, he reached out for Peter. And it says that Peter took the man by his right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And then look at this. He entered where? He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So here's a man, remember, who because of his disability has never been able to go into the temple. Here's a man who's been told you will never be able to go worship God with God's people in the temple. And yet now, where does he find himself? He's in the temple. He's with the disciples and he's not just walking. I mean, he's, he's jumping in the air and he's praising God for all that God has done in his life through Peter. So this man, what I want you to understand, he doesn't just experience physical healing here. I mean, physical healing is great, but he experiences something even deeper than that. He experiences spiritual healing. Like he now has a relationship with God. And as a result of this, he experiences emotional healing. I mean, he's got joy. He's excited about the life that he has, and he has this relational healing. He's not on the outside. He's on the inside with Jesus. I mean, this man's entire life has been transformed because of Jesus. And as a result, look what happens next. It says in verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this was like, no mistake about it. They're like, wait a minute, this is like the lame beggar. Like, what's happened in this guy's life? And this is in verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people and said, whoa, 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 men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though this has been done by our own power? Peter says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, hey, don't be impressed with me. Like, wait a minute, guys. Like, don't you remember who I am? I'm Peter, right? Like, I'm the guy who literally, like, Jesus called me Satan one time. Like, I'm the guy who just 50 days earlier denied Christ three times because I was scared of a little girl. Right? Like, I'm the guy who Jesus was constantly having to correct because I just could not figure out what he was trying to teach and do. And yet Peter says, as slow as I am, even I can see, I didn't do this. Like, like this miracle didn't happen because of me. So the question is, okay, then, well, then Peter, then why did it happen? And I love that, G, that, that Peter uses this miracle just to point to Jesus. 
He says in verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. Look at the, listen to the boldness of Peter, by the way. This is a man who, who denied Christ before receiving the Spirit. Now listen to the way he's talking to these people. He, he says, this Jesus whom glorified his servant, Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer, to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. He says, whenever you decided to kill Christ, you killed the very one who holds you together at night while all you do is snore. The one who keeps your heart beating and your lungs filled with oxygen, you killed the author of life. And because you cannot keep the author of life in the grave, he says, you kill the author of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, and to this we are witnesses. And in his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see now, and it is faith that is through Jesus that has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter, in other words, what he's saying here is, listen, you want to know why this guy is healed? Because the author of life whom you killed, he's back from the dead. And he has actually given us his spirit, his very empowering presence. And the reason the miracles of Jesus are still going is because Jesus is still going through us. Through ordinary people, because we are walking and we are stepping out in faith, Christ is still at work. He's still doing the things that he started in the Gospels. And therefore, verse 19, he says, because Jesus is not dead, because he's alive and he's well and he's ruling and he's reigning. And verse 19, he says, what? Repent. Repent of your sins. Repent and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. And what is the result of repentance? Repentance is such a gift from God. I, we totally have got to redeem this word. It's such a, we think it's such a dirty word in our culture. Repentance is such a gift. It's God's way of just saying, hey, make a correction. It's like your GPS and you make a wrong turn and it's like, you know, like, what does it say? Like, uh, redirecting. Yeah, re- like it's what, it's what repentance is. It's like, I'm trying to get you back on the right track. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back for your sins may be blotted. And look what happens when you repent. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed to you for Jesus, whom heaven you must receive until the time for, look at this, restoring all things. You know what Jesus is in the business of doing right now? He's in the business of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Do you see what Peter is saying here? He is saying there is coming a day when God is going to restore all of his creation. There is coming a day where just as the prophets, like prophet Isaiah, prophesied about 30, and and, and, and Isaiah chapter 35, hundreds of years before Christ came, where the blind eyes will be opened, where the deaf ears unstopped, and the lame men and women will leap like a deer. Peter is saying the healing that you just witnessed here, it is a taste of a future reality that is now breaking into this present world. It is a signpost that is meant to point you towards what is sure to come for everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ. I was talking to my cousin this past week who, uh, when he was 18 years old, he had played uh, football, played basketball, played baseball at Paragold High School, Richcrest at the time. And when he was 18 years old, he was coming back from a party and uh, flipped his car and it paralyzed him from the chest down. And as I was reading this passage this past week, this, this, this image came to my mind where I remember seeing this news clipping in, in my cousin's room where he was playing football for Ridgecrest and he was leaping through the air and catching a football. 
And I told him, I said, I sent him this passage and I said, man, if you will place your trust in Christ, there's coming a day where you're going to leap like that again. Like there is coming a day because Jesus cares about all of who you are. Everything in you is going to be restored and redeemed. And it's not as true of my cousin. It's not as true of the man here in Acts 3. I mean, there is coming a day where everyone in Christ is going to be healed once and for all. There is coming a day where just as Christ experienced a life, death, and resurrection, if you trust in Christ, you too will experience a life, a death, and a resurrection. There is coming a day when you trust in Christ where all of the sin is going to be rinsed out of you. And you are going to have a glorified body and all sad things are going to come untrue. And suffering and sickness and sorrow and things like suicide and death and disease and all of that is going to be no more. This is the hope that can be yours today. Peter says, if you will repent. If you will turn from your sins and trust that the author of life actually knows better how to run your life than you do because he created it. This is the word that Peter preaches. And as a result, in chapter 4, we'll look at it next week, thousands of people are saved. Thousands of people. Which means this Christian movement within three days goes from 120 people to 5,000 people. And what I want you to see And what I think Luke wants us to see by recording this story is that one of the major reasons that people gave their life to Christ was as a result of the miracle. Because a lame man was miraculously healed as the Spirit of Jesus empowered an ordinary man to do an extraordinary thing, people end up saying, okay, what's going on? How did this happen? And it gave Peter a chance to point to Jesus, and people repented of their sins and were saved. And I want you to please hear me today. Because as pastors, we truly believe that Jesus wants to do a similar work in our day and age. We believe that this ministry of healing should be expected as disciples of Jesus here and now. We believe that because healing points us to the resurrection power of Jesus, the one who cares about the whole person, the physical healings like we see here, is not simply for the church in Acts, but we believe that it's for the church today which I think begs the question then, is why do we see so little healing? I, I mean, if, if 12 of the 28 chapters in the book of Acts, 12 of 28 are around physical healings, if it's true that Jesus wants to continue to do the same kind of work today in us that he started in the Gospels, then why do we see so little healing in and through the church in 2019? And I think there are several reasons for why uh, this may be true, maybe many reasons, but there are four that I want to share with you just very quickly. And I think the first reason um, that we don't see a lot of healing um, today is because of secularism. Because our Western worldview has influenced our faith more than the Scriptures. Because I believe that there are many of us who have begun to believe the lie that if it can't be measured or proven by science, then it must not be true. Um, This is why Gordon Fee says it is only among intellectuals in a scientific age that it is thought to be too hard for God to cure the sick. If we want to step into the ministry of healing, we must, in the words of Mark Sayers, desecularize our lives. In other words, rather than having our lives shaped by the culture, we need to come to a place where we allow our lives to be shaped by Christ. And we say, you tell us what it looks like to be your disciples. I think leading into this and and kind of a part of secularism is another reason we don't experience 
as many healings maybe today is because of cultural Christianity, which is basically this idea um, that rather than the church trying to be conformed in the image of Jesus, we try to conform Jesus into our image. It's the church's attempt, basically, in, in our culture today, like we're trying to make Christianity safe, fun, and convenient for the whole family. And as a result of that, rather than us being a spirit-filled church on mission, we have reduced church to a consumeristic weekly activity. Rather than submitting all of our life to Christ, we've compartmentalized our faith. And so in the process of this, we've taken off things from the table, like obedience and purity and holiness and the everyday stuff of life. And as a result, there are many people who have an appearance of godliness, but are denying its power. Eugene Peterson, in just kind of a real light little quote on this, he says, A consumer church is an antichrist church. Once we begin to cultivate a consumer-pleasing, commodity-oriented congregation, the wheels begin to fall off the wagon. This is why, Peterson says, we must not suppress the Jesus way in order to sell the Jesus truth. Thank you, Eugene Peterson. Always just a little light word from him, right? <laughs> a third reason that I would say um, that we do not experience... Um, as many healings today is because all healing takes place in a kingdom that is already and not yet. And so whenever Christ uh, came to this world, he broke the future kingdom into this world. But but we, we still know there's brokenness in this world. And there's demonic forces in this world. And there's still sin in this world. And so sometimes, right, people will be healed when we pray for them. And other times people will not be healed. It's not always going to happen. There are times in our church uh, where I can point to where we have prayed for people and seen physical healing. Um, even uh, two months ago, it was about two months ago, somewhere around there, we saw two different ladies in our church all within a week of each other that God had brought healing to. Uh, one of them was a lady that called on the pastors in her DNA to pray, and uh, the doctors had told her that they thought she had some cancerous, I guess, cells or something within her ovaries. And so um, we prayed for her. She had a doctor's appointment the next day, and they said, actually, everything's clear. And we don't know what happened, but it's clear. That same week, another lady came to us who had been struggling for two years with stomach issues. Um, she told us by her own admission that over the last two years, there was not a week that has gone by that she had not vomited because of the pain and the nausea that she was experiencing. She came, we prayed for her, and since then she said she's been perfectly fine. Has not had any issues whatsoever. She thought she was going to have to have her gallbladder removed. The doctor said, actually, no, your gallbladder's fine. I mean, God healed her. There's other examples. I mean, we've had women in our church who have struggled with infertility, who have tried everything and, and gone here and gone there to try to get answers of how can I have a child. Eventually they come, they invite people to come and lay hands on them to pray. And then, bam, like they conceive, like God gives them a child. That's happened here. I remember when we first started the church, when there was just a handful of us, we had a woman in our church that came up to us um, who had been struggling from migraines, and, and it would cause uh, nausea and blurred vision and all sorts of other issues and some numbness in her face. And during one of her episodes, um, could barely even see it. We went and we laid hands on her, and literally God healed her in the moment. I mean, it just went away as we're praying for her. So we've had a lot of times where we've prayed and God has healed. But you know what? There's also been times where we've prayed for people who were sick and they got sicker. There's times we prayed for people who were dying and they still died. And that is because we are in a kingdom that is already and not yet. But I think one of the reasons that we experience so few healings today is because we all tend to err to one side or another, right? There's some people who err on the side of, they just say the kingdom's already here. So as long as you have enough faith, as long as we pray, like you're going to be healed no matter what. And that's just not true. I mean, even the apostle Paul in Corinthians, right? I mean, he prayed for God to take away his thorn in the flesh over and over. 
And he said that God never healed him of it. And so there's sometimes like when we pray for physical healing, that God is not going to heal. And it's not just so you know, by the way, it's not because God is mad at you, Christian. It's not because he's trying to condemn you. If God chooses not to physically heal you, he's got a greater healing in store for you. Uh, for, for Paul, he says in Corinthians that the reason God didn't take away the physical uh, ailment that he had was because God used it to keep him humble, which made him more dependent on God, which led him to experience more of God's grace, which means more of God's power, which used the Apostle Paul to be one of the greatest missionaries in the world, which is why we have the gospel today. So God is always up to something if he's not bringing physical healing. But I think some of us, we, we err to the side, right, of, of either, yeah, God is always going to heal, which I think is a few of us in here maybe, but then most of us go to the other side where we're like, well, the kingdom's not here yet, so there's really nothing we can do. There's just going to be brokenness. There's going to be suffering. There's no reason to pray. I mean, it's just a fallen and broken world. And because we err to that side, I think it's one of the reasons why we don't experience a lot of healing today. A fourth and final reason, I would say, is part of the reason that we don't experience many physical healings is because we have a lack of real discipleship around this issue. I don't know about for you, but me growing up in the church, the only thing I learned about the ministry of healing was what not to do by watching crazy guys on TBN who were like slaying people in the spirit, you know, and telling like little old ladies like, you know, send in your money and I'll send you a prayer rug so you'll be healed of your infirmity. Guys who would say crazy stuff like, hey, you know, as long as you have enough faith, you'll never have to go to the doctor again or take medication again, which by the way, that's crazy. Like, please hear, like, we don't believe that as pastors. Like, don't hear this sermon as being like, you should never go to the doctor. You should never take medicine again. In fact, in James, when it says you're sick, call on the elders and they will anoint you with oil and then pray over you. And oil, right, is actually a medicinal purpose. It's almost like today saying, hey, if you've got a headache, take a Tylenol and call for the pastors to come pray for you. Right. And so like they're like, we're not telling you don't take medicine, but like we, I saw stuff like that all the time. I talked to a guy just this past week. I do some chaplain work for Allen Engineering and I was walking through at Allen Engineering and I talked with a guy. Um, and I wasn't even telling him about my, my sermon or anything. I don't remember how this came up, but he said, Oh, I know how he said he's not involved in church. And, and basically here was his reason for it. He said, dude, I watched my aunt die of cancer because of the church. And I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, a pastor told my aunt when she got cancer, she had enough faith God would heal her. So she never took chemo and then she died. And I just apologized. I said, dude, I'm so sorry, man. I don't know where that pastor got that from. But, but, and I just tried to basically say, man, like, I promise you this, man. Like, that's not from the scriptures. It's not from the word. So, like, I think for some of us, like, when we, when we grew up, we heard all these kind of horror stories about healing. And so then we just kind of created this 11th commandment that says, I will not do at all what I've seen other people do poorly. Um, and, and I think that's a bad idea. For others in here, maybe... You truly do believe in, in the ministry of healing, and you believe that God wants to do something like this, but maybe, honestly, like no one's ever taught you how. Like when you were discipled upon becoming a Christian, you were taught how to memorize verses, and you were taught things like how to kill sin, but you were never really told, like, how do you step into the Holy Spirit and through the supernatural power of Christ begin to step into the ministry of healing? And I think that's a lot of us in here. And so here's what I want to do, just to get super practical for you. I just want to share four practical tips of how we as a church can step into the ministry of healing, not so we can make much of our name, that is never what healing is about, but so that we can make much of the name of Jesus, okay? And so here are four practical tips, and I just want to say this as I share this, okay? As a pastor of this church, like all things, anything I share with you is coming, I believe, from the Scripture. And if you see anything different, you let us know. Okay? Our goal as pastors is simply to be obedient to what God has called us to do. 
And we believe this is something God has called us to step into. And this is something we're still trying to work out. Okay, I'm still trying to grow in this myself. And so I'm not sharing this from an expert uh, perspective. Okay, but that being said, here are four tips for stepping into the ministry of physical healing. And the first one is super profound. You ready for this? If you want to step into the ministry of healing, you have to first pay attention. Isn't that awesome? Like, I've been to seminary. You can tell, right? You have to pay attention. Because we live in such a fast-paced, overly busy society that has bought into the law of multitasking, it is incredibly easy for us to miss out on the supernatural work that God wants to do in us and through us for the purpose of helping restore his broken world. I think of the story in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 18 where Jesus is walking with his disciples, which would have included Peter and John, who are in our story in Acts 3. And they're walking, Jesus is walking with his disciples to Jericho. And if you remember the story, there's a man in the crowd who's blind. And he begins to yell out, Son of God, have mercy on me. Son of God, have mercy on me. And what, is, what do his disciples do? You remember the story? They say, shut up, be quiet. Like, we don't have time for this. Like, we've got ministry to do. We don't have time to deal with this blind, broken man over here. But what does Jesus do? What the disciples see as a distraction, Jesus sees as an opportunity to show compassion to a man, and he heals the man on the spot. I cannot help but think, in Acts chapter 3, that story was on Peter and John's mind. They didn't blow past a guy this time, because they began to realize they had the spirit of Jesus in them, and they stopped, and because of that, they paid attention to this man, and they brought healing, which as a result brought salvation to thousands of people. I don't know about you, but for me, honestly, as a type A personality, this has been so challenging and convicting to me this week. I literally set my schedule the week before, and I color-coordinate it, right? Like, everything's, like, together. It's, it's all color-coordinated, right? And so, like, for me, the word that God has been speaking to me all week long is, Jared, if you want to really step into the ministry of healing, you have got to pay attention to the brokenness around you, and you've got to stop seeing interruptions as interruptions and see interruptions actually as opportunities for you to do a good work for the good of the person and ultimately for the glory of my name. Yeah. The second thing that we see is if we want to step into the ministry of healing is we need to ask the Spirit to reveal what's going on. Now, please hear me on this because this is something I'm trying to grow and learn, and I don't want you to misunderstand anything I'm about to say. Though we all experience physical pain and sickness in this life, we do not all experience pain and sickness for the same reasons. And from what I see in the Scripture, there are at least three reasons why we may be suffering right now. Three reasons why you may be suffering right now. And I'm going to give you all three. The first one is sometimes we experience suffering, we experience sickness and pain just because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen and broken world. Sin has entered the picture, and therefore there are some times, right, where pain and fevers and aches, things from colds to cancers, they're here simply because the world has not been fully restored yet. Okay? Sometimes that's why we experience the suffering that we experience. Another reason Sometimes we experience suffering not because we live in a sinful world, but please hear me, sometimes we experience it because we have personal sin in our own hearts. Um, I think of the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, where Paul says, It is because of your sins, many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. Which means sometimes when you have back pain, it's simply because we live in a fallen world, but sometimes it's because you've been looking at pornography. 
Uh, sometimes it's because you were hurt in the past, and rather than forgiving the person, you're holding on to bitterness. Uh, sometimes it's because you are continuing to live in unconfessed habitual sin, and it is wreaking havoc on your body. David says, because I held iniquity inside, my bones begin to waste away. A third reason that some of us experience physical pain and sickness in this life is not simply because we live in a fallen world or because of personal sin, but the third reason is because of demonic forces. And I know in a Western society that seems so just spacey and weird, but listen, you cannot believe in God without believing in the devil. You just can't do it. The scripture doesn't allow us to do that. And according to the Bible, demonic forces can begin to wreak havoc on our bodies. I think of Luke chapter 13. After Jesus heals a crippled woman in chapter 13, verse 16, he says that this woman was a daughter of God, which means she was a God-fearing woman, but that the reason that she had been crippled for 18 years is because she had been bound by Satan for those 18 years. It's important for us to hear that. Because listen, though you cannot be possessed as a Christian You cannot be owned by a demon. According to Paul in Corinthians 12, a demon can torment you. A demon can torment a Christian and can even bring about physical illness and sometimes even injury. And therefore, what that means is that if we are going to step into the ministry of healing, we have to listen to the Spirit. We have to start asking the Holy Spirit for discernment. We need to pause for a moment when someone asks for healing or when we see that someone is suffering and say, okay, Holy Spirit, what's going on here? I have no idea. All I see is like this hurt or this pain, but you just make sure you show me if there's anything deeper going on. And then from there, we'll move into kind of a third practical step, and that is you can, you can uh, begin to apply appropriate touch, and I use appropriate touch because, I mean, obviously there are times where that's not going to work, but, but if you do begin to believe that God is calling you to pray for someone or pray specifically for a certain area, we would encourage you to touch the person. We see it all throughout the scripture, right? Uh, Peter grabs the man's hand. Jesus touches the man's eyes. There's just something powerful in that. And so you lay hands on them. And then fourth and finally, what I would say is you pray. And when you pray, I would encourage you to pray for the specific need. As a general rule of thumb, general prayers get general answers, but specific prayers get specific answers. And so I would encourage you to pray, specifically pray in faith, trusting that God actually desires the wholeness of this person more than you do, right? Which means that that, that often, right, that he will even, uh, when he brings healing, he will choose to do it through ordinary people like you and me who pray not in our own power or not in our own authority, but in the authority of Jesus Christ, again, for the good of the person and the glory of his name. So that's practical tips. Pay attention to the brokenness around you. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what's going on in this situation. Apply appropriate touch when necessary and then pray for the person. And just so you know as well, those prayers don't have to be long. Peter says, get up and walk, right? Not to sit there and try to convince God. And sometimes, again, because we live in a kingdom that's already not yet, God will bring healing on the spot and sometimes he won't. And we trust that if he doesn't, he's a good father who always gives good gifts, and that he actually has something better by not bringing the physical healing in that moment. All that being said, um, as we close, here's what I want you to see as we begin to move towards communion. Anytime that we see a miracle performed in the scripture, it always makes the miracle worker vulnerable. We're going to see that next week, where because Peter and John stepped out in faith and, and performed a miracle, performed a healing, in the next chapter they're arrested and they're threatened with their entire lives. 
And we see this happen in Jesus' life where Jesus, whenever he decided to raise Lazarus from the grave, he himself could not raise Lazarus from the grave without being willing to put himself in the grave. After he raised Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders came to him and said, okay, now we're going to have to kill you. And this actually led to the greatest miracle the world has ever seen, where God becoming Jesus Christ made God killable, thornable, spearable, nailable. And while at the cross, the greatest healing ever took place where Jesus physically suffered and died for you and me, he did so so that no matter who you are or where you come from, if you trust in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, you can receive the forgiveness and the freedom that you were longing for. You see, Jesus Christ became weak on the cross so that we could become strong in him. But what you need to hear today is, listen, before we come and take of communion, the only way you can ever become strong in Christ is by first becoming weak. By admitting you don't have it all together. By admitting you're broken. By admitting that you're poor in spirit. By admitting that even on our best days, according to the scripture, that we deserve hell. Some of you, you're still believing in a fairy tale that because you feel like you're a pretty good person, you're going to go to heaven. The Bible never says that. It actually says quite the opposite. And so my hope for some of you today is that you will realize Christ and his weakness became strong so that you and your weakness can become strong in him. You can receive the life that you have been longing to live. You can one day in Christ receive the ultimate healing that you have been created to experience. For others in here, maybe today, as you come and partake of communion, maybe you've been a Christian for a really long time, but your life looks no different than anybody else around you. And so I would encourage you today, not, don't walk in shame or fear or guilt over that, but as you come, remember Christ becoming weak on the cross so that you can become strong. Remember that he's given you his Holy Spirit so that you can testify to the fact that he is alive today. And so I would ask you, as you come and you try off a piece of bread and you dip it in the juice, ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you again. For others in here today, maybe you want healing. And in just a moment, the pastors, we're going to be in uh, this room during communion. I'll be in there with uh, um, Adam and Luke and Chuck and then Lindy um, will be in there, Chuck's wife. That way, if any uh, ladies would like prayer, uh, we'll have a woman in there with us. And I would just encourage you, if, if there's something that's ailing you right now, uh, come and ask for prayer. Uh, whether that be physical healing that you need or spiritual healing to where you're just asking, like, man, I've been struggling with the same sin over and over, and I would like to, for you guys to pray for me, that, that God would help me to break free from the bondage of that. Or maybe it's an emotional healing from something someone did to you, and you're still struggling with bitterness, and it's harder for you to forgive. Some of you, maybe you're here, and you're like, man, I, I just so wish that Jesus was here today, because if Jesus was here up front, I would run to him to get healing. And you know what? Jesus is here today. He's here today through the power of his Spirit. And so I would encourage, you don't have to come to pastors if you don't want to, you can go to someone else, but I would encourage you for some, if you want healing, come and talk with us, or if you have questions about your soul or next steps, about what it means to experience salvation in Christ, we'd love to talk with you. All that being said, I invite you to stand as the band comes forward. I want to pray for us, and then we'll partake of communion. And again, if you would like healing, I'd encourage you to come. And we'll be over in this office. So Adam, if you want, you can go ahead and unlock your office if you have that. But let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for um, each person who is here today. And I pray that right now, supernaturally, that, that Holy Spirit, that you would press on them the reality that they matter to you. And that they have breath in their lungs because you are the author of life who holds them together. And I pray that, Father, they would stop trying to manage their own life, would stop running from hit to hit 
or experience to experience or job to job just to try to cover up the pain in their life or try to find meaning and significance. And I pray that they would find that everything they are longing for is in you, Jesus. I thank you so much that you care not just about one part of our life, but you care about all of us and that you promise to redeem us, to restore us. Set that hope in our lives and help us to believe that truly as a church that we have the spirit inside of us, the same spirit that raised you from the dead so that we can go and testify and we can witness to the fact that you are alive today. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.